0: Thank you for joining me for the inaugural episode of 80s Action Pod. Before we get started, let me introduce myself. I'm Jay, the movie guy. I'm a fan and lover of anything from the 1980s, from music to video games to books to movies and television. I was 7 when the decade started, 17 when it ended, so the movies and TV shows we will be talking about are right in my wheelhouse from my childhood. I decided to start this podcast as a way to reminisce about some of the movies and TV I grew up with, and a chance to re-watch them and see if they hold up to my memory, or not. And it's also a way for me to find out movies and TV that I missed during the decade, and let me watch them and talk about them. So with that said, let's start 80's Action Pod. Again, thank you very much for joining me for the inaugural episode of 80s Action Pod. I'm Jay the Movie Guy, an amateur podcaster who decided to start this as a fun way for me to go back and watch movies from the 80s or find movies I've never seen and uh, talk about them. Talk about the movie, talk about the cultural impact, and talk about some of what was going on in the world at the time of the movie. So I decided I was going to start with my first episode, one of my all-time favorite movies. So I'm going to take us back to May 21st, 1980, and I want to talk about Star Wars. Episode 5, The Empire Strikes Back. Written by Irvin Kirshner and written by George Lucas. And the movie begins, it's a dark time for the rebellion. Although the Death Star has been destroyed, Imperial troops have driven the rebel forces from their hidden base and pursued them across the galaxy. Evading the dreaded Imperial Starfleet, a group of freedom fighters led by Luke Skywalker have established a new secret base on the remote ice world of Hoth. The evil Lord Darth Vader, obsessed with finding young Skywalker, has dispatched thousands of remote probes into the far reaches of space. And that's basically the exact point where the movie picks up. While out on patrol, Luke sees one of the probes land. He he thinks it's a comet, and he wants to go check it out. And he is attacked by the wampa monster. And he is off to the cave. Han Solo, while was out also patrolling, he heads back. And uh, he's getting ready to leave because the bounty on his head for uh, by the huts is getting too great and too dangerous for him to be with the rebels. So he's getting ready to leave. When he gets word that Luke never came back. So Han Solo decides, i got to go out and find him and help him. So out goes Han Solo to find Luke Skywalker. Luke Skywalker now hanging upside down in the Wampa's den wakes up, sees it eating his tauntaun uses the force, gets his lightsaber cuts himself free cuts the arm off the advancing Wampa monster and heads out into the blizzard. While in the blizzard he sees a vision of Obi-Wan Kenobi telling him, go to Dagobah learn from the Jedi Master Yoda And as he's succumbing to hypothermia, the vision disappears, and then there's Han Solo there to save his life. Han Solo gets there, and is getting ready to take him back when Han Solo's own Tauntaun dies. So in order to build the shelter, Han Solo cuts open the Tauntaun, shoves Luke Skywalker in, and one of the funniest lines is, as he's talking about the Tauntaun goes, and I thought you guys stunk on the outside. And it's also one of the grossest scenes ever in a Star Wars, especially when I was a seven-year-old kid seeing it for the first time. But next morning they're saved, and they head back out, back down to the base. Han Solo decides, all right, we're going to check this thing out that Luke was doing. goes out and he finds the robot. It's taking pictures and sending him back to the Starfleet about the uh, the uh, power generator that they have. So they destroy it, but they realize it's too late the Empire now knows that's where they're at so as they're preparing to evacuate the Empire shows up and they got probably one of the coolest scenes is you get to see the walkers the the, uh, AT-AT walkers for the first time in action and it's hard to believe that all this was practical effects too and this wasn't green screen, this wasn't special effects I mean these were actual uh, stop motion walkers that they used, which was really cool and, uh, you get to see this battle and they realize that they can't take him down so they gotta use the tow line, trip him and make him fall. And they hold their own until they realize that they're going to be outnumbered, so they evacuate the base. They're sending them up, sending the ships up, and they're firing the ion cannon to keep them protected. And then as they're evacuating, Han Solo goes and finds Princess Leia and says, we gotta go, gotta go, gotta get you your transport. As they go to get the transport, there's kind of an avalanche type thing, and, uh, they're blocked off so Han's like alright I'm getting you out of here on the Falcon you guys just go take off and they go to the Millennium Falcon which has been having some uh, mechanical issues but isn't it having mechanical issues so they get there they're getting ready to take off and just as they're in, getting in the ship Stormtroopers show up they're firing on it they're firing on it Darth Vader shows up hunting for Princess Leia and Luke Skywalker so they get on the Falcon they take off and they go to jump into hyperspeed And it's dead. They don't do it. So they got to sit there and they got to evade TIE Fighters and the Star Destroyers. So they uh, realized, okay, we're going to go into an asteroid field. It'll give us some protection. The Star Destroyers themselves aren't going to go in. So so the TIE Fighters there, they're bobbing and weaving around. TIE Fighters getting blown up on the asteroids. When they find a huge one, they decide they're going to go in and land in the cave in it. So as they're hiding in this cave, they're, they're working on it, trying to get a fix, trying to figure out what was going on, when they realize this cave isn't a cave. So they decide they have to get out of there. It's a gigantic space worm in this asteroid, and they barely make it out. Now they're back we're right into the fire with the TIE Fighters and the Star Destroyers. So they're doing evasive, evasive actions. They're trying to get out of there, and their hyperdrive still doesn't work. So Han has this incredible idea where he's going to swing around, stay close, and he's going to land on the backside of a Star Destroyer. And they're just going to wait it out. They're off the radar. They can't be found. They just disappeared. So they wait it out. Star Destroyer's getting ready. He said, all right, we got to go. They're getting ready to jump into hyperstride. So they jump their trash, and the Falcon just floats away with it. And then they decide, all right, Star Destroyer's sure gone. They gotta go. We gotta find some place to fix this thing. While this is going on, Luke Skywalker now is not going to the rendezvous. He decides, all right, I gotta go to Dagobah. So him and R2D2 take their take the X-wing fighter and they go to Dagobah. So we're gonna follow Luke Skywalker and they land on this swamp planet and it is horrid. They there's nothing dry. They land in a swampy lake. They get out. They're trying to find, all right, we got to find this Yoda. There's like nobody here. So they're setting up camp when all of a sudden this green little creature shows up. Curious as all can get out just in all their stuff. And he's like, well, we're trying to find Yoda. Oh, Yoda. I know where Yoda is. And they're sitting there. Right, right. Yeah, whatever, whatever. And he's like, no, I take, I take you, but first we go eat. So, this creature, we'll call him creature for right now, takes him into his house and says, eat, eat, eat. And Luke's going, no, I need to hurry. i got to find Yoda. He's a great Jedi master. And that's when the creature was like, ah, Jedi master. And Luke's just getting more impatient, more impatient, more impatient. And all of a sudden, now we find out it is actually Yoda who's like talking to a force ghost. Of Obi-Wan Kenobi going, I can't train him, he's not patient, he's too old, and everything like this. And one thing I wasn't sure about, even re-watching the movie just the other night, is does Luke hear Ben also, at this point? Part of me thinks no, and he's only seeing Yoda's one side. But part of me is also thinking, well, maybe he does. But at this point, he realizes, this is Yoda. The Jedi Master who's going to train him. So... And he's still very impatient. He wants to get this storm, but he starts his training. A lot of running through a swamp, a lot of climbing ropes, a lot of standing on one hand, standing on two hands, levitating rocks. And this is going, it's all going pretty good until he, uh, Luke Skywalker finds, okay, it's very cold. I want what's down here. And Yoda's like, don't go, don't go. You're not ready. And so Luke goes down and he sees a vision of Darth Vader. Pulls out his lightsaber, swings, cuts the head off. And as he's looking at the mask of Darth Vader, he realizes it, it pops open and it's his own face. This really freaks him out. I tell you, it freaked me out too. But it really freaked out Luke Skywalker. So he comes back and you ask Yoda, what is this? He says, it's a possible possibility. So as training continues, Luke's like, I'm not strong enough. I can't do this. I can't do this. And eventually, the X-Wing fighter completely sinks. And Yoda's like, Grace it. You can move rocks. Move the X-Wing fighter. He's like, I can't. It's too big. I can't. It's too big. Can't do it. Can't do it. So he tries. He tries. And he moves it. And then it sinks to the bottom. And he goes, I can't do it. It's impossible. And that's when Yoda steps up. And he brings the X-Wing fighter up out of the swamp. Brings it over and sets it down. And I think that's when Luke realizes okay he is the master but he's also having these terrible visions of his friends who are going to be in pain and peril and he needs to go save them now we go back to Han Lu, or Han, Leia and Chewie and C-3PO who now they're with a Millennium Falcon that has no hyperspace. space so they decide alright we gotta figure somewhere out and that's when Han figures out I have a friend of mine who uh, runs a mining colony in Cloud City, or Bespin. So they asked, do you trust him? And he goes, no, but it's the best lead they have. So they fly to Bespin and there they are met with Lando Calrissian, played by Billy D. Williams. And they get there and first think, oh my God, he's mad at him. He's, hes they're gonna fight. Then all of a sudden he gives them this big hug and Princess Leia's is back thinking, I got a horrible feeling about this. But they they go in, they talk about it, talk about, well, how are you doing? How are you staying out of the Empire? And uh, Lando Calrissian is like, well, it's a small operation. I, I'd stay out of the hut's way. i stay out of the Empire's way. And they're, they're just, I'm good to go. So you move further on and they're taking, well, as they're nosing around and C-3PO gets separated from the group, he, he actually finds an open door and goes in and uh, is basically destroyed. You don't find out later, but it was stormtroopers that destroyed him. And then Chewbacca finds him in the smelting place and he brings them all together and he's working on them. But Lando Calrissian invites him to dinner. They show up and there's Darth Vader. And oh my goodness, this is the worst thing in the world that Lando basically tells them hey, they, re- they arrived just before you did and they offered me a deal that I had to take so now they're captured by the Empire so what are the plans what are they trying to figure out well the uh, bounty hunter Boba Fett is there to claim Han Solo to take him back to of the, the Hut, and Darth Vader is there because he wants to set a trap for Luke Skywalker so their, their whole plan is, is they want to freeze Luke Skywalker to take him to the Emperor. What they do is, well, we got to test it. Say, We're going to freeze Han Solo. Boba Fett's like, I need him alive. I was like, well, this is the deal. We're going to try it, and you deal with it. So the whole thing happens. They get him up there, and they're about ready to freeze Han Solo. And Princess Leia tells the, uh, the great line, I love you. And that's when Han Solo looks at her and says, yeah, I know. And then he's dropped down and he's frozen. And he survived the, He survived the process. And now they're like, perfect, we're good to go. I'll get Luke Skywalker in here and we'll freeze him and take him to the Emperor. Boba Fett, you take him and you go to Jabba the Hutt. And now at this moment, Luke Skywalker showed up at Bespin and he's sneaking around trying to figure out where, it, where are they at, where are they at? And as he comes through, he has a little, little bit of a showdown with Boba Fett. Just a few seconds. And as uh, they're taking Han Solo away, and he's going through, and Princess Leia's like, it's a trap, it's a trap. So he makes his way into the Carbonite freezing room. That's where he uh, runs into Darth Vader. They have a little bit of a duel. Uh, he falls into the freezing pit and just before he gets frozen he jumps out and Vader's like, oh, you're stronger than you th- than I thought you were. So they have this lightsaber fight through parts of Cloud City and all of a sudden down into the, uh, I don't know if it's like the air conditioning or the air vent type area, but they make their way out there onto a uh, dock out of a window. And as the, sword f- as the lightsaber fight goes on, I almost called it a sword fight. As the fight goes on, Darth Vader cuts off his hand Luke goes out he's hanging on the edge and Darth Vader says one of the most often misquoted lines in all of movie history he does not say Luke I am your father he, all he says is I am your father and uh, Luke's like no 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 search. And Vader's like search your feelings you know it's true and then with that Luke I don't know if he was planning on if he knew he was going to survive or if he was going to fall to his death. But he ends up falling down through the shaft in the center of Bespin. And then sucked out of an air vent. And he goes through here, which saves him from falling all the way down. And then he's sucked out into another air vent and drops onto an antenna underneath the city. As he's hanging there, Boba Fett's leaving with Han Solo, taking him to uh, Jabba the Hutt. And... Luke's underneath the city going, Ben, Ben, can you hear me? Ben Kenobi, where are you at? And then all of a sudden he stops. And then he says, Leia. Leia. And then you pan to the Millennium Falcon, and Princess Leia's like, Luke, we got to go back for him." So they come around with the Millennium Falcon, and they find him. Lando Calrissian's with him. He saved him. And they come up, and they get Luke, and they pull him into the Falcon and uh and they get out of there and then they end up going back to the uh the rebel base Uh, well not a base it's a rendezvous point with multiple ships and uh they fix luke up after his hand was cut off they gave him an android hand and uh basically setting up the sequel where lando calrissian is taking chewbacca and the millennium falcon and he says we're going to go find Han Solo. We'll let you know when I'm ready and we'll go from there. And this perfectly sets up the next movie, which comes out in a couple years, uh, return of the Jedi. And uh, that's basically my ramblings about uh, Empire Strikes Back. I know I missed a few key points. I know I just quickly covered the movie because if you're listening to this, most likely you've already seen the movie. If you have not seen the movie, why are you listening to me? Go watch it, then come back and listen to me. So with that being said, why don't we hear a little bit from my sponsor for the show, and then we'll continue on with the next part. Well, if you're anything like I am on the weekend, you like to pull out your grill or your smoker, I'll throw on some pork, some brisket, some chicken wings for every now and then. But sometimes, barbecue sauce does not have the kick I want. That's why I reach for Half's Hot Sauce. What is Half's Hot Sauce, you ask? Oh, you're in for a treat. Half's Hot Sauce is a small batch company that makes all natural sauces with lots of local ingredients to Ohio. Half strives to bring you a sauce that you will want to use on anything and everything, from desserts to savory dishes. They also offer honey from Bosler Bees in Deersville, Ohio. So now some of my personal favorite, I love pineapple. It's my favorite. It goes great on wings. But you can also get Hot Tropic, Killer Kiwi, Trippy Pickle, more Cowbell, and Main Squeeze. So they have some great names, some great sauces. And if you want to find them, go to halfshotsauce.com and tell them Jay the Movie Guy sent you. So what cultural impact does The Empire Strikes Back have? Well, it was the number one movie of 1980, with a domestic gross of $209,398,025. Two years later it had a re-release leading into the uh, movie Return of the Jedi, and that re-release had $13 million. And then the special editions were released in 1997 to a tune of $67.5 million. And in 2020, from June to September, Disney decided to open up the vaults and let certain movies be re-released to uh, put things in movie theaters or uh, drive in movie theaters. And so eight markets were lucky enough to have Empire Strikes Back for another $2.5 million. Its total US gross is 292 million, ranking it the 95th movie in US history. International box office was 190 million, giving it a combined total worldwide of 538 million dollars. So you gotta think movie ticket prices back then were a lot cheaper than they are now. If I remember right, it was like $3.25 when the movie came out. And I may even be that may even be high. But as we all talk about the cultural impact of Empire Strikes Back, it is wide-reaching because not only was it the movies, there were Saturday morning cartoons, there were the two Ewok specials that came out, as obviously Return of the Jedi, and then there were many, many novels and comic book adaptations and storylines that eventually, when Disney bought, were erased from the canon but there're still fans like me who still love the stories still I still own a couple of the novels the Timothy Zahn ones are like some of my favorite but the video games today I have spent many hours playing like the Lego Star Wars games with my kids and they're just so much fun you got the multiplayer games on the computers and stuff like that so Star Wars today video game wise comic book-wise, action figure-wise, is still huge. But it's also still huge in the theaters because eventually, the late 90s, early 2000s, we got the prequel, prequel movies. And then, just recently, we've got Rogue One, Solo, and then we got the end of the saga with uh, Force Awakens, Rise of Skywalker, and all this. And they're, they're... They're there in culture, and they will always forever be in the culture of the United States or of the world. Just even that, because now Disney Plus has the series. You had uh, The Mandalorian for two seasons, and uh, The Book of Fett, which has just been recently released. I haven't watched it yet, but I'm planning on it. And, I mean, you have The Clone Wars... And everything like that. So culturally, Star Wars has never gone away since 1979, 78, when it was first released and brought forth, making it one of the biggest cultural icons ever based on a movie, which is basically Cowboys and Indians in Space. Um, Talk about some of the actors. We have Luke Skywalker, uh, played by Mark Hamill. Um, At the time was this young blonde haired good looking kid who you would have thought out of the the bunch of them who were in the movies you would have thought he would have had the biggest career but he had a very good career but now that he's older his renaissance is in animated voice work where he's best known to me as playing the voice of the joker in a lot of the batman uh, cartoons and uh, animated films and he is like the perfect evil sinister voice for the Joker and other and he's played multiple other uh, voices in in uh, animated films too and I mean pop culturally he was brought back for an episode as a Big Bang Theory he's always talked about that way and the same thing with Carrie Fisher Carrie Fisher was the same way she had a great career but a lot of it was because of Star Wars and I got to admit when I was younger I always compared Carrie Fisher to Sally Fields. You got to think I was seven, eight years old. I've always confused one for the other. Oh, Carrie Fisher's in Smokey and the Bandit. No, that was Sally Fields. Oh, Sally Fields was in under the rainbow. No, that, or that was uh, Carrie Fisher. So it was one of those. And again, Carrie Fisher also will always be forever in the uh, pop culture icon. And, uh, she also was in an episode of the big bang theory. One of my favorite shows. You'll find that out. Um, and unfortunately, she passed away just a few years ago, shortly, just right after her mother passed away. And uh, I was it was very hard to watch her in the uh, ending of the saga, knowing that uh, it's the last film that she had passed. But it was a very touching end, a very touching tribute to her. And then Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford, if you ask me, had the best movie career out of anybody in the Star Wars, in I mean, in the Star Wars original trilogy. Um, because he became Indiana Jones. He played the American president in Air Force One. He was in uh, Cowboys vs. Aliens. Uh, just so many movies. I mean, with The Fugitive. Uh, you just, I can't name all of Harrison Ford's movies. And he's even making films today. And the best part is that I find funny about Harrison Ford was... He wanted Han Solo to die in Star Wars, Episode 4, New Hope. He wanted Han Solo to die in The Empire Strikes Back. He wanted Han Solo to die in Return of the Jedi. And that was how they got him to come back for Force Awakens, is they finally got to kill off Han Solo. And it was a very poignant part in that movie, too. So, one of the other uh, funny things is, is that Han Solo... In *Empire Strikes Back*, the reason he wears long sleeves is because I believe he broke or severely sprained his arm on set, and they used that to help cover up the cast. And then *Empire Strikes Back* also introduced us to uh, Billy D. Williams playing Lando Calrissian. I always remembered Billy D. Williams as the uh, what is it? The Colt 45 beer commercials, and he was a cool man. I mean, just the way he would deliver his lines and everything like that. And I will be honest, I don't remember a lot that Billy D. Williams did after, after Star Wars. I mean, I could go and go on internet movie database or something like that and look and find out and go over his career, but he doesn't pop out in the uh, cultural pop culture that the other ones do. And, um, Then you get to uh, James Earl Jones, the voice of Darth Vader, the voice of Mufasa, the voice of CNN, and him, the director, and George Lucas at the time were the only ones who knew that the line was, I'm your father, because that was the hook for the entire movie that no he couldn't be his father and the way they played it up because at the premiere the actors were like what that's the line and it was that was one of those perfectly executed uh, secrets for a movie so how did this movie hold up culturally how did the effects hold up how, how did everything with Star Wars hold up I mean re-watching it obviously I have the digital copy of it and it's been cleaned up. I mean, if I wanted to watch the original Gritty, I would pull out my VHS, but the special effects since they've been touched up, still hold up. There are a few there with the stop motion on the uh, Tauntaun riding through the uh, blizzard, you can tell. But other than that, um, everything holds up. The storyline still holds up. The special effects are decent. And as I said, this is my second favorite Star Wars film Um, Rogue One is my favorite don't yell at me for it Um, it's just my choice and the way it leads into the sequel is the best part about it because the first one kind of left it open ended is that are we going to have a sequel because they didn't know didn't know exactly if they were and that's why they kind of made it where it was kind of open-ended, but not at the same time. So. So with that being said, we could talk about uh, the Rotten Tomatoes score or how well it is that way because it is the highest rated Star Wars movie at like a 96 on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, I believe uh, first uh, New Hope is 94 and then I know Return of the Jedi is all the way down an 84 so I mean it is a well loved film in the Star Wars trilogy and it's also I believe from the original trilogy it is the only one to win an Academy Award uh, if, I'm, if I remember right and then you also got to realize that the the impactful score of John Williams not only did he do the music the music itself is part of the movie it just it just envelops every scene it envelops every actor and his music is so so iconic that it is in so many movies and like you know the music for Star Wars when you hear it, when you first get that first note, you're like, ah, I'm ready. Let's go. So, culturally, The Empire Strikes Back is one of the most influential movies of all time. We get to see another side of Darth Vader, who um, if I remember right, is uh, um, considered the third greatest villain of all time. And I can see that. I wholeheartedly can see that. So, Culturally, it is one of the greatest movies of all time, and I'm glad I decided to make this my first movie. So, what was going on in the 1980s at this time? So what was happening in the world at the end of May in 1980? Well, Memorial Day weekend, I had celebrated my 7th birthday. Probably didn't do much of anything. I was probably in the middle of playing Little League baseball. But on May May 18th, Mount St. Helens erupted in uh, Washington State, killing 57 people and causing over $3 billion worth of damage. I remember watching on on TV, the videos of just the smoke just billowing out as they were showing it and they were talking about the people that died and they were evacuating and the rumors of people who refused to leave the mountain because that's where they were from and they didn't have anywhere else to go and I always think back and I, you still today can look at the pictures and uh, just see the damage and the devastation that uh, Mount St. Helens did cause it's still even visible today And then we jumped to May 22nd in 1980. The Pac-Man video game was released in Japan and later became the best-selling arcade game of all time. Now, I know I have spent many hours at our local arcade playing Pac-Man, quarter after quarter after quarter after quarter, and I still still suck at it. I was never good at Pac-Man. I'd never had the hand-eye coordination. I mean, I had to stick more with games like uh, Asteroid and uh, Space Invaders. But I will say that when we eventually got our Atari 2600, that we had the Pac-Man game for it. And it was fun. It was fine. But it was never the arcade game. The arcade and the Atari game were just too different. But they were both fun. They were both time killers, wasters. Especially when you're a young kid playing the video game. So, On May 23rd, horror film The Shining was released based on the book by Stephen King. Kind of ironic. Empire Strikes Back and The Shining were filmed on the same set. Not set, but studio filmed them. And Stephen King would come and watch the filming of Empire Strikes Back multiple times. And then to find out that both movies were released just days apart. And it's also funny is that Stephen King actually hated uh, Kubrick's version of The Shining. And eventually tried to... uh, have his name taken from it and eventually later did a, uh, a mini series of the shining, which honestly is nowhere near as good as uh, Kubrick's version. And Stephen King finally came around to it and says, okay, I'm good with it. I'm happy with it. So that's a good thing. And the final thing on May 24th for the first time ever, the New York Islanders win the Stanley cup over the Philadelphia flyers in a thrilling five, four overtime victory. Giving New York the series four games to two. I was never a big big hockey fan. Lately, I keep kind of keep an eye on it. Um, I keep an eye mostly on the Pittsburgh Penguins. I like uh, I like the Penguins. So, but no, yeah, it was interesting that this was the Islanders' first ever Stanley Cup, and and over the time. I don't know how I haven't followed the Islanders. I don't follow hockey enough. So I just thought it was an interesting little fact to add on here. So thank you for listening to the inaugural episode of 80s Action Pod. I'm Jay, the movie guy. All ad procurement and research was done by Frank Huff via uh, Box Office Mojo, Internet Movie Database, Entertainment Weekly, and Rotten Tomatoes. Nanu Nanu, live long and prosper, and may the force be with you. See you again in two weeks.